What it is, y'all. This is episode 16 of the Buddy Ruski Show. Happy New Year to everyone. Hope you're staying safe and doing your best to keep a positive outlook on life because this is one insane fever dream that we are all living through. What? I don't believe it! Kidding. It's just as I expected. My conversation today is with Daniel Watkins, a.k.a. Danny Blaze, a former rapper born and raised in Durham and your favorite rapper's favorite Twitter follow. Danny is one of my favorite people to talk to. He's never without an opinion and always brings a smile and a light to any space he occupies. We talk about life growing up here in the Bull City and how it's changed over the years for us before diving into his rap career, the highlights, the struggles, and what ultimately led to him retiring from the rap game. As always, thank you so much for listening to the show. Be sure to check out the Patreon page, patreon.com backslash buddyruski. You can support the brand there. Uh, subscribe to the newsletter on our website. Follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Instagram. All that good stuff. I'm really excited about what we have cooked up for 2021. I know the year's gotten off to a weird start throughout the country. Weird is, man, that's, that doesn't even do it justice. But I'm really excited about what we're doing here, the brand that we're trying to build, the shows that we might have coming out, the other brands and businesses we might be working with during the year. Um, there's there's a lot to be hopeful for. And so I hope that uh, that this brand can can bring you hope as well. And, and don't be selfish. You know, make sure that you're sharing this with your friends and family. If you enjoy the content, uh, be sure to pass it along. Uh, I do want to send a special shout out to my buddy Holland Gallagher for the additional music drops uh, throughout the show today. Uh, it was a pleasure to have some some new music to, to jazz up the show. So definitely shout out to Holland. Uh, for that. Also, just want to take the time to pay my respects to the legend, Daniel Dumoulin, MF Doom. Your art changed my life, and I'm sad to see you go, but I'm really thankful for the art you put into this world, and I will cherish it for the rest of my life. So, without further ado, here is my conversation with Daniel Watkins. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm a first generation Southerner, man. My uh, my, my dad is from Brooklyn. Uh, we was raised in Queens, born in Brooklyn. My, my mother's from New Jersey, and uh, at some point they decided to come here, and, and that's how that's how I arrived to good old Durham, North Carolina. But uh, yeah, man, most most of my my family are all Northerners, and um, yeah, product product of you, you know, there's there's the stereotype about North Carolina where we're uh. <laughs> We're where New Yorkers come to lay low, and it's pretty true. You know, I'm, I'm a product of that. I got a bunch of friends there as well. My boy Mike, he's his parents are both from Brooklyn. You know, it's 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 funny how there's a generation of us that are like a, a product of that New Yorkers coming to North Carolina stereotype, and I'm one of them. So it's, it's pretty funny. But yeah, well, that feels like maybe we should hop before we do the full bio. Go ahead and and introduce you for the people that. Uh... They may not know who you are from your voice. I mean, you have a pretty distinct, uh, distinguished <laughs> voice. So if people don't know who I'm talking to, uh, today on the Buddy Ruski Show, we got Daniel Watkins, a.k.a. Danny Blaze. Thanks for being on the show, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me, man. This is my, my what, my second podcast appearance, so I'm, I'm hyped, man. First of which was with you as well, so. 
Yeah, I was thinking about that. I think you were one of the first people I ever interviewed or the first people I ever covered when I first started at Clarion Content. Yeah. Seven years ago. That was seven years, bro? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I remember you You uh, reviewed the, the album, the uh, Nerds at the Cool Table album. And uh, yeah, wow, I had no idea it was seven years. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, and that was like one of the first interviews we ever had, too. So it's kind of, you know, it's cool coming full circle with these things with you, you know, like the interviews and the first podcast and here I am with you again, you know? Yeah, hopefully we'll have something to talk about for years to come as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. That's look, one thing about me, man, one of my favorite things to do is run my mouth, baby. So <laughs> I'm always down to have a good combo, you feel me? Well, I, we were talking a little bit about you having that, that New York connection with your family, then moving down from New York and New Jersey. And it's funny because it is a bit of a stereotype, but I find it to be one of those true stereotypes about people, specifically people in the black community, making that migration down to the South and end up staying in North Carolina. My, my theory is that, you know, unless they pop into Washington, D.C., that really the only other place that I can think of that is that has that kind of draw for the black community is Atlanta. And so yeah. if you don't get all the way down to Atlanta, then North Carolina, specifically Durham, Raleigh, Durham and Charlotte are maybe and maybe Greensboro as well. Um, but they're like the, the magnets for people, for northerners trying to, to get out of that uh, the hustle and bustle of that that area. Right, right, yeah, and you know, I've, I've, I've always wondered why here. You know, like, like I mean, I guess, I don't know. Maybe Georgia is like too far south, and like, you know, North Carolina, us being like, you know, I mean, you can get to New York in eight hours. You know, hour flight, eight hour drive, and like, I, I don't know. To, to this day, I, I, I've never really asked. Like, I wonder what it is that brings so many of them to this area, you know, like, like, especially now I can kind of see it. Like, you know, we, we've developed a lot, but like you look at Durham, Raleigh, Chapel Hill and in, in, in the nineties and early two thousands, it, it wasn't, it wasn't like this, you know, it wasn't like, I don't know. It wasn't a lot to attract New Yorkers in my opinion, you know, cause New, New Yorkers, man, they're pretty hard to impress. You come from the city that has everything anytime, you know what I mean? And then you come here, like I, I, I do know, the ones I, I speak to often, their main complaint is like, oh, it's too slow down here and everything's closed and, you know, but something brought you here still. And I, I don't know. I never really understood what that was. Even my pops, I, I'm, I think I asked him, I've asked him several times throughout my life, oh, what made you come to Durham? He always gave me some really vague answer, you know, but it's, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. Like we, <laughs> we even have like an acronym for carry central area for relocated Yankees, you know, like, it's it's hilarious because there are so many of them there, and I and I actually worked in Cary, man. I just left the Whole Foods out there, and I would even say like a good forty five to fifty percent of the clientele were were from New York at some point, you know, Long Island, the city, upstate, whatever. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's, it's a really interesting thing, man. I never understood what it is about us in particular that that draws people from New York, but they they like it here, and and. You know, I think that's pretty cool, and and you know, we we brought a, we I, I think they brought a lot of their culture to our area as well. You know, you you even hear like a lot of New York slang and stuff from people who aren't from New York, and you know, you see 
you know, some of them come down here and open up businesses. Now we have like food and, you know, clothing shops, that, you know, from stuff they, they have back home. It's, you know, I don't know. It's, it's created a really interesting dynamic, but I never really understood how that started. Yeah. I mean, I imagine that for some folks, it was the research triangle in the universities, but then also if you think about a place like Durham with black wall street, I'm sure even in the forties, fifties, sixties, and before that, the black community was attracted to the industry that was happening here. And it's funny that people make that stereotype about it being slower down here because I, I think, and maybe it is partly the New York influence, but I actually think that the research triangle in Durham in particular has a nice balance of hustlers and people who want to come and just relax. And I, I like that balance. I think that that's something having grown up here and, and you having grown up here as well could probably attest to this, that it does have that nice balance of people that, want to work hard, want to make their mark, but then also, you know, are willing to kick it on a Saturday, Sunday, you know, they're not trying to bend over backwards to, to work 24 seven, just to keep up with the rat race. So yeah, I think you're right that there has been some influence brought here, but I also think that people are attracted to come to this area because it's not quite New York. You can still be a hustler and be rewarded for it, but not be, caught up in it in quite the same way as the other right, big right. Yeah, I definitely feel you on that. Cause we, we have we have our big city vibes. You know, it's not it's far from New York, but you know, Raleigh, you, you go downtown Raleigh, it might have that big city feeling that, you know, they're they're accustomed to, but you still got the the down south, you know, good good old home kind of hangout, you know, drink drink some sweet tea kind of thing going on too, you know? People so, hanging out on the front porch. Yeah, yeah, like Raleigh, you get literally both of those things, you know. Like, yeah, so I, I don't know. I think you're right. I think it's a nice, it's a, it's a change of pace for them, which I think a lot of them are looking for, despite them saying like, "Oh, it's too slow." But you know, I, I, I do think a lot of them enjoy it being a little, little less chaotic, you know, and and maybe less packed. And it's, I, I'm not gonna lie, man. Like, like I love New York myself. But last time I went, I was, I don't know, it's. It, I was like, yeah, I see why y'all kind of leave this place. It's cool to visit, but even after a few days, I was like, man, this is a lot. Like, just everything's just go, 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 go all the time, and, and there's just so many people on top of each other, and I can't imagine being there during, like, like, like now with COVID. Like, oh, my gosh, man, I would probably have an, have an anxiety attack, you know, from just so many people being around, and, oh, it's crazy, but. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a proving ground. I feel like a lot of people, especially in their younger years, they go to New York with the promise that if they can make it in New York, they can do whatever they want after that. And so they yeah. go and they grind and they don't have the responsibilities yet. You know, they're maybe not married. They don't have kids. Uh, and so they, this is the only time in their life when they can really do the New York lifestyle. And, right. and then after that, they decide, okay, yeah, I want to start a family. I'm going to move to North Carolina or... Uh, you know, I've made it in New York. Now I want to move out West and do something out West or start a business in Atlanta or, uh, you know, go somewhere else where the cost of living isn't as high. I can have a little bit more yard space. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I've heard a lot say that too. Like they didn't want to raise a, a family in this city, which I can understand. You know, I can definitely understand that. Is that what brought your parents down here? To North uh, Carolina? I believe so. Like, I, I guess in the general, they, they both came separately, funny thing, and then they met uh, my mom went to Fayetteville State and then somehow ended up in Durham and my pops came down here. I, it's like, it's, it's so weird, man. You think I would know, but I feel like every time I ask him, he tells me a different story 
for a different reason. <laughs> like, I don't know. Maybe he was on the run or something. He, he just doesn't <laughs> want to tell me that. I don't know. Like, that, I never got, like, a straight answer. Like, well, how did you end up in Durham from, you know, going go, – he, he went to Hampton University, you know, so he was in Virginia. But I still don't know how he ended up, you know, a state down from, from there. So, I don't know. I'll ask him again one day, and maybe I'll, I'll you know, finally get the truth. I'm 30 now. Maybe you won't have to, you know, give me the – the kitty story of the runaround, you know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they they funny thing they came to the south separately and then they met. And um, but yeah, typical typical North Carolina story, man. A couple Yankees came down and liked it here, and and you know started a family. And and are you the oldest in your family? I am. I'm the oldest of four, bro. Oof. I am the oldest of four. And it was uh, it was fun, you know. We had we had our times, but I, I definitely have oldest child syndrome, bro. Like I was I was I was put to work as a kid, man. Like like three younger siblings, bro. My parents were like, nah, son, you 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 gotta help hold this down. So yeah, it was it was it was it was a lot of not fun too. I felt like a, I felt like a janitor slash babysitter slash you know part time cook, and I'm like ten, you know what I mean? But. <laughs> So, yeah, what about you? I've never really heard you say much about siblings. I feel like you got a brother or something, right? Yeah, I've got a, a younger sister, so I'm, I'm the oldest as well. Uh, oh. Yeah, I had an older sister growing up, and then uh, my dad got remarried, and uh, and I inherited a stepbrother who's, uh, let's see, about six or seven years younger than me. He lives down in okay. Georgia, uh, where my dad is. And then uh, I have a half sister now who's about ten. Yeah. So so yeah, I got a bit of a a scatter shot family. Uh, but where are your parents from? Are they from Durham originally, or uh, my mom is? Yeah, my mom's from Durham, and my dad's from Indiana. So he. Oh wow. Yeah, he got down here through my grandfather. His dad worked at Duke in the '80s, and my dad came down to visit him. And then decided he wanted to come spend more time down here. So he ended up moving to Durham shortly after that. And then he and my mom met. They actually worked together at uh, this place. It used to be called the Omni. Now it's the Marriott downtown. Oh, I do remember hearing about the Omni. Yeah. Right. I didn't know that was the Marriott now. Yeah. So they, they met there. And, and um, so, yeah. So my dad, my dad had been here for quite a while. My mom's been here forever. My her mom was has been here forever, so we got quite a long history on my mom's side of being in this area. And my grandfather, my mom's dad, he's from Florida, so he was oh, uh, okay. yeah, he was out on his own pretty early in his life. So, uh, but he made his way up here after the military. Ah, good old army guy. Okay, yeah. okay, that's what's up, though, man. Your mom being from Durham, that's pretty cool. Like I, I hear and I tell people all the time too, like being from Durham is like a rarity, man. Like. There's so many people here that are from somewhere else. We're we're like unicorns, actually, being from like even when I tell other people like really, like really you're you're from here. I'm like, yeah, I'm from here. Like you know, I'm sure you get that experience a lot too. Which is one of the beautiful things about this place. We have so many people from so many different places, but like it's so weird. I don't know being in a in a city where no one's from there. You know, like like and and then you are one of those people. It's just, I don't know. I think that's why we we born and raised dermites kind of connect so well because there's so few of us it seems you know like I, I i could literally count on one one hand i think how many people i know who were like born and raised in durham you know like it's it's crazy crazy few yeah like, and there's a there's a certain culture too that comes with that 
that is, it's interesting to hear the motivations for people, why they come here, not just because of jobs or whatever, but you know, there are, there are jobs, plenty of places, there are university towns in, in plenty of places in the country, but there's something specific about Durham, even, even in the triangle compared to Raleigh and Chapel Hill. Yeah. Uh, there's something about Durham that, that brings them here. And it's, it's cool in some ways and, and definitely a responsibility to be one of those people that carries the, the traditions of being a Duramite and trying to instill that. I mean, that's something that Gabe and I talked about all the time at Runaway was how do yeah. we get people to understand Durham, not just as this moment in time, but the legacy of Durham and what, what it has been, uh, you know, even before Gabe and I were born and, and, you know, stuff like Black Wall Street, how do we pay homage to that? How do we make sure that we continue to sustain the type of culture that we want to have here? Because there is something beautiful about the blend of people that come, having that mix of people that are born here versus people that move here for whatever reason. And I think for me, it, it had been a struggle for a long time as someone who was from Durham to accept that. Because I think I always saw people moving here and things changing and things growing in ways that I liked, but then also in ways that I didn't like as a threat. And yeah, and then now I think with more experience and, and more time and a little bit more wisdom, I've been able to see the you know the gift of having people move here and bringing their expertise and their own culture and, and blending that in with Durham what that has been able to do for the city for better or worse. But yeah, you're right. Being, being from Durham is there aren't too many of us left. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it's definitely a unique experience, man. You're right. Like we, you know, we come with our own, like, like it's I actually joke about my, myself a lot. I'm, I'm the, Hey, this used to be guy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I mean, I ride around town. Oh yeah. That used to be a, Chick-fil-A and all that. Yeah, that, before this, that was a, you know what I mean? It, it's like, I don't know, you kind of can't help but do that because you're right, like, so many things have changed and, and it seems like very quickly, you know? Like, like I don't know, man, you blink in the city's an entirely different place. Man, I tell people all the time, there was a point where it wasn't, I, I guess for lack of a better word, it wasn't, like, safe to go downtown, you know? You look at downtown now, we, we got the... We got the D-Pack and all these cool bars, and you got, you know, Tobacco Road. And all. Fam, I remember a downtown Durham where 90% of that shit was boarded up. It was abandoned, you know? It, it was, you know, you, you couldn't go down there without, with, I mean, not 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 to any fault of their own. Like, you know, no one woke up and decided to be homeless, but, you know, it was it was a ton of homeless people. It, it was, you know what I mean? It, Durham had, like, its own little skid road down there at one point. You know what I mean? Like, like it's 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 crazy to see what it is now. And I'm like you, man. It's a good and a bad thing. You know, it's changed for better and for worse. You know, unfortunately, when these quote unquote nicer things come around, like you know, values, property values, and and you know, rent prices go up, and it makes it hard for you know, it, that's that's the ironic part. It makes it hard for a lot of us who are born and raised here to even be here anymore. You know, it's crazy. Like, like. You look. You look at rent prices, or have, yo, have you looked at the housing market? Oh my god, bro, it's crazy. Remind me to send you this thing on Twitter later. It was like this house, yo, it's like a shoebox with a little gravel driveway in East Durham. 
didn't even have a real driveway. It was like a gravel drive. And they wanted like $250,000 for that. You know, like, I'm like, when did Durham become, and yo, in, in East Durham at that, like, yo, you know, East Durham is, you know. East the thing Durham, is they don't know. If they just yeah. got here, they don't know. You're right. Yeah. You're, we know that. You're right. Yeah. They, but you can sell that house to someone moving from Illinois or something. And, and you know, you put that word, uh, oh, they love that T word, trendy. Trendy, <laughs> upcoming, trendy and upcoming. That's a realtor's favorite words, man. They put trendy and upcoming on it. And now, you know, you, you just sold this, you know, this, this cabinet with a driveway in East Durham for quarter million dollars. You know, like, it's you know, it's insane. But, like, growing up here, I never would have thought we'd have this. Yeah, you know, it's it's wild. Like the gentrification in Durham, I never, I don't know, bro. I never really saw it happening. You, you, you're you're from here. You know, we've always kind of been the, the rough around the edges kind of kind of place. You know, like like, I've I've literally had people tell me on Twitter like like when they're from, uh, I think last person told me he was from Apex and like they used to go, they used to come here to Durham to watch the games and people would tell them to be careful. You know, like. You know, we're we're we've always unfortunately been kind of known for the gun violence and the and the gangs and the drugs and you know just just the rundown neighborhoods and the poverty and and not all of it, of course. You know, not the whole city, but that was that was Durham's reputation for quite a while. And now we're kind of I don't know. We've turned into this this trendy hip kind of you know dive bar kind of town, and, and that's cool because yo, I'll be one of the first people you see down there. You know what I mean, like. I love downtown Durham, man. You catch me at Surf Club, Motor Co., Full Steam, Bull McCabe, 106, all of those, you know. But, like, it's also like, damn, it's wild because there, there was there was a Durham where you'd never you'd – ne you, you wouldn't see 90% of these people down here at all. Like, you know, it's crazy. Yeah, and then there'd be nowhere for them to go either. I was thinking um, about when you, when you mentioned East Durham specifically, because I know you went to Hillside, so you spent some time sure. out that way. And I spent a little time over near there when I was going to Central. And it's interesting how certain places in Durham change more dramatically, more rapidly than others, and why that is. And there, I was driving, one of the few times I've been in a car recently, I was driving back to my house and I was riding down Gear Street coming, my, my grandparents live over uh, off of 85 near Cheek Road. Oh, okay. Coming down that way on East Gear in between right, right. Alston and I guess it's uh, Roxborough. And there you gotta, you gotta check this out next time you're in that area. There are these houses that they're, you know, they gotta be, they're two story houses. They, they look very modern. They're just giant houses. There's three of them. They all look the same. Mm. And they're next to these houses that you're talking about, little shoe boxes with the, with the gravel driveway. It's so yeah. bizarre to see the, where people choose to build these and just what it means for the dynamic of the neighborhood and, 
um, yeah, man, it's, it's, it's wild to think about East Durham specifically and what might happen to it or what might not happen to it. I mean, I, my grandparents live about three blocks from uh, the village over there off of Holloway in Miami. Right, right. And that thing, you know, a couple restaurants have changed hands maybe, but that place has pretty much been the same my whole life. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. you would think that <laughs> it would be ripe for some redevelopment. There's lots of parking. You know, there's the big strip mall type uh, shopping that, you know, there was a Lowe's Foods there. I don't know if it's there anymore. You know, they got all the all the staples, but I've never seen anybody even consider developing in that area. And, and I have a pretty good idea why, but it's just interesting to think about when people say Durham is changing, Durham is developing, it is very specific areas that are benefiting from it. And I don't know if, if you, you know, how much you remember from growing up and, and going to Hillside and, and that part of town, but a lot of it's still kind of the same. I'm, I'm wondering if you can speak to just your upbringing and in, in going to Hillside and just like what Durham was like for you growing up. Yeah, man. I, um, you know, I, I, I had an interesting high school experience in general. I've actually spent the first two years of my high school uh, career at Jordan. I actually went to Jordan for uh, my 05, 06 year. And then I finished at Hillside 07 and 08. And um, I mean, man, going to Jordan was like, you know, I, I don't know how many people you know that went to Jordan, but it was it was like the Hope Valley kids, the Parkwood kids. People like Gabe and Getz, those wackos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, G, yo, G. Amazawa went to Jordan. Shout out to him, you know? Um, but yeah, there was like a certain, like there's a certain, I, I still don't know how, like I ended up in Jordan. Like somehow I was in their district, despite being down the street from Hillside. It was insane. Huh. So, yeah, that's how I spent my first two years at Jordan. And, um, I mean, yeah, man, to be quite honest, it was, it was a culture shock, man. I went to Bethesda for elementary. I went to uh, Shepherd for middle middle school. And these were predominantly black schools. And I got to Jordan, and, and and it was, like, the complete opposite. Like, I was the minority all of a sudden, you know? And, um, yeah, and I, I finally decided to go to Hillside uh, my second to uh, my second half of, of high school, I don't really remember why. I just I, I probably because it was closer, and and I think all my buddies were at Hillside. All my friends from Shepherd were there, and I was kind of like, yeah, why am I going to school across town? With you know, Hillside's up the street, and um, I mean, yeah, man, it was completely different. It was it was like you know, ninety five percent black, and and you know, it it was it was it was uh. This sounds bad. I hate to say this, but it was a lot more fun than Jordan too. I was very uncomfortable at Jordan because I felt really out of, I guess my my pocket, and my element, and and I got to Hillside, and you know, I don't know. It's, it's that's real. That's that's a very real thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't. I wouldn't blame you for feeling that way. And you know, I have some experience with that a little bit. Sort of going the opposite direction when I went to college because I went to. Riverside for high school. Ah, uh, Riverside guy. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. But 08, you know, 08. I represent for 08. And then I went uh, over, I went to Winston-Salem State for a semester. And, you know, oh, very blessed. Salem State, yeah, exactly. And so Riverside was, was pretty mixed, but uh, but I didn't have 
like a ton of black peers or, or friends in my neighborhood or anything like that. And then going to an HBCU was like, whoa, I, I don't yeah. know. About, you know, I, I had I had fun the semester I was there, but it just was, the culture was so different. And yeah. it does really affect how you how you see yourself, the way that you present yourself, the comfortability you have. Um, so, yeah, I can definitely understand that. And, and especially for a high school kid, because those are very formative years. And for you to not be right. comfortable or in your element can have a lasting effect so were you taking the bus out to jordan every day yeah yeah i was okay. I, I bro and i was literally close enough to walk to hillside like it it made no sense i don't know how they draw up these district lines and all that but yeah i was taking the bus and and i mean yo it, it was crazy like that was that was i think the first time i had ever really seen like those houses out there in, like hope valley and and you know, and Parkwood and, and all those, Wood, Woodcroft, you know, I had never really been out there before because I'm, I'm from the South side, man. Well, I'm, I'm from kind of a mixed area in Durham, but you know, whenever that, Hey, what part of Durham you from convo comes up, I, I tell people I'm from the West end and the South side. And, um, you know, uh, I had never really been out to like, like that part of town, you know, and, and this is, this is kind of, well, not pre-South Point. South Point opened in, what, 2002? I don't know. I mean, I remember it opening, but South Point has always been kind of this unknown for me. Like, I, I've been out to it a bunch, but I still don't really understand where it is. I just know how to get there. <laughs> I'm familiar. Yeah, it's, it's – it, South Point is somehow, like, the epicenter now of all of those neighborhoods, like Woodcroft, Parkwood, you know – Hope Valley, you, you know, like, but before that, I wouldn't know what you call that side of town. But now we, we all refer to like that, not even just the mall, but that area as, as South Point, you know? And, um, but yeah, I, I say all that to say, I had never really seen that side of town before. Cause, cause you know, we were, we were, you know, not saying I, I grew up in the worst neighborhood ever, but yeah, yeah, I was in the hood, man. And, and I, you know, Jordan was the first time I had, been outside of that and and you know um i mean it was also good for me because i mean it was kind of the first time i had been around you know people that that didn't look like me it was it was it was a growing experience which i needed actually but i think it's really bad for you to spend your entire life around just people who share your experience you know i don't, I don't feel like you can grow spending your entire life around people that look like you speak like you eat the same things you do do the same things you do for fun you know like it was so it was a cool learning experience being around, I was trying not to make it racial, but I'll, I'll say around white people and, and you know, learning some things and, and just even even just seeing the differences, you know, but but um going going to Hillside and being back around people that look like me and, and it was actually it was actually great for me because uh you know, I don't know, I, I had like that imposter syndrome at, at Jordan. It was it was crazy. And it wasn't even race, it was actually more of a class thing. It was it was I felt poor. It was the first time I felt poor, bro. I was like, damn, was like, you know, you grew up in, in, in you know, these, these places and everyone's kind of got the same amount of, you know, everyone's house is about the same size. Everyone's got the same kind of, you know, clothes. None of us have like the new, what was, what was popping in high school? No one had like the new Rockefeller, you know, the <laughs> Rockaware fit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, but then I got to Jordan. I saw kids with these Nikes I, I, you know, I couldn't afford and like, you know, like, like, I don't know, bro. It was, it was, it was, I was more so uncomfortable because of like, it was the first time I was 
around people who were not in in my class, I guess. And and it was like, wow, man, it was it was a culture shock. It was like I've never really been around yeah, rich people for lack of a better word. I was like, yo, you gotta I mean, yo, I'm on the bus and you come out of this three story house in Hope Valley. You know what I mean? And I got on six stops to go, you know, off of Fayetteville Street, you know what I mean? <laughs> like it was yeah, it was it was tough, man. And and I got to Hillside and that's when I kinda Oh man, like I, I learned about, I learned about rap, and I learned more about, you know, I, that's when I started rapping. I, you know, I started getting in the in the, in the cyphers and the freestyle circles with dudes, and and you know, it it, it hillsides where I, I, I kind of fell in love with hip hop and learned more about that. And because I don't know, I don't know if I ever told you much about that. I know we've spoken before, and you know, stuff like that. But I, I I couldn't even really listen to rap when I was growing up. Like my mm. mother was very religious. I couldn't listen. I didn't really get into rap until I was like 14, 15. And, and you know, I, I had heard songs here and there, you know, going to friends' houses and all that. But for the most part, bro, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you shit about rap, like, prior to high school. And then I got to Hillside and, and like, you know, I was around dudes that, that rap. Like, like, we're 14, 15. Some of these guys have been rapping for years. And I went to, I went to Hillside with Cavassier de facto. Um... Oh my God, so many people, man. And just being around these dudes and like, you know, learning how to rhyme and, and yeah, you know, so Hillside kind of helped make me more of who I feel like I am today. But Jordan was, was a great learning experience and I didn't appreciate it at the time, but it is good to be outside of your comfort zone. And, and I'm, I'm sure you can relate. I, I don't know if I've ever like asked you straight up. I, I believe you're, you're biracial, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. My mom, yeah, my so mom is black and my, my dad is white. Right, right. Yeah, I've seen the pictures on Instagram and stuff like that. And, you know, and I, and I presume, but I never, like, you know, came out and asked you straight up. But I'm, I'm sure you can relate to that in some sense, too. You know, being around your white side and being around your black family. And, and you know, I'm, I'm sure there's, like, a there are the differences that you've picked up on. I'm sure that's affected some of, of who, who you are as well, you know? For sure. Every day. I mean, I, I'm still thinking about it. Yeah, to this day, that kind of stuff. The first house that I like really remember living in was over off of uh, Chapel Hill Street. I think they're called Duke Duke Towers now. It was used to be something else. It's basically like in between downtown and Lakewood Shopping Center. It, it it was a very modest neighborhood. It had an apartment complex across the street that had a pool. My dad would lifeguard for sometimes, and there were some apartments further down the way. I had a couple friends that lived there. But I remember distinctly, and I've, I don't know if I've told this story on a podcast before, but I, I think I've written about it, that there was a night, uh, I played violin growing up. The, the mm-hmm. elementary school I went to, Aaron Harris, had a... Oh, wow, you went to Aaron Harris. I went to Aaron Harris, yeah. And a, a friend of mine there, his dad started the violin program at Aaron Harris. So, so I grew up playing, and, and I was practicing with my dad on the front porch uh, one night, and this woman walked by walking her dog, and these dudes were harassing her as she was walking down the street and one of them had a I don't remember what kind of gun it was but it was it was a two two-handed gun whatever <laughs> whatever oh, something uh, of significant size and weight and and right. uh, and I just remember thinking I don't even know if I knew how to rationalize that in my head at the time but I distinctly remember that night because it wasn't long after that that we ended up moving from the neighborhood and I just remember thinking <laughs> There's probably right, right. a good reason for that. Yeah, we moved into Watts Hillendale. yeah exactly. And we, uh, we moved into Watts Hillendale, uh, you know, over there down by EK Poe. And, uh, 
Okay. It's a totally different experience. You know, I could I could walk around at night and go visit friends and and there it wasn't uh, you know, particularly loud at night, you know, with the exception right. of some traffic going up and down 9th Street and people would be out in their yards and they had gardens and there were just all these things that were pretty different from where I was used to being and so I grew up having a bit of that same I don't want to say culture shock, but that same imposter syndrome where even though we were in this new neighborhood, it didn't quite feel like we were like some of the other people that I was hanging around. And the friends that I made in that neighborhood are my best friends and brothers to this day. So I've not, yeah, it's not a, it's not to disparage them, but it, it did always feel like there was a difference between me and them outside of the racial stuff. Cause you know, I didn't have a lot of, black friends growing up the two brothers that I was friends with actually in in my old neighborhood and in, in, um I think that maybe was the west end uh we because we weren't in the neighborhood together anymore we kind of lost touch as I got older and went to a different school right. and all that and they were really the only two black friends I had growing up with the exception of a couple people that I played sports with maybe um but yeah I just ended up having a very white circle of friends and so that's what made the salem state experience so such a that was a culture shock and even after that going i went ended up going to durham tech for a few years and somehow or another ended up being best friends with the with a lot of the middle eastern kids that went there and even there it was like we you know we related on the music we listened to and we you know we were all big basketball fans and stuff but they were, you know, their their religion made their culture very different from what I was used to. Right. Something that that I didn't have any experience engaging with. And so that was also a learning experience for me, something that I appreciate to this day, where I felt like I had a I didn't just have the view of the Muslim community that the news was giving me. I had firsthand experience talking to people who were practicing Muslims who could actually teach me about the culture in a way that was nuanced and that wasn't through this prism of American politics. And um, so, yeah, so all that to say that I, I can understand where you're coming from. And I think that's what made Durham special and continues to make Durham special is those little pockets where, yes, we all grew up in Durham, but going to Hillside is very different than going to Riverside, which is very different from going to Northern or DA or DSA. And, and you don't really, unless you play a sport, you don't really end up going to other neighborhoods that often. Yeah. Yeah. This is true. Or those other schools. Yeah. So I didn't really learn to your point about not knowing Hope Valley area that well, I would say the same thing. I, I hung out in my neighborhood you know, we some of the some of my friends got their license in high school, so we would occasionally go to other houses and hang out. But for the most part, we were trapped in our neighborhood. No, not trapped, but like you know, secluded in our neighborhood, playing basketball, yeah. playing Halo together, hanging out in parking lots, and getting into all kinds of shenanigans that I won't go into more detail because my parents listen to this show. So, <laughs> right, uh, right. <laughs> right. Uh, but. But yeah, so so I knew Watsonville really well, and I knew Ninth Street area really well. But outside of that, I, until I got older, I didn't really know all that Durham had to offer. So I, 
one of the reasons that I actually really enjoy talking to people like you who are from Durham is that I do get to, I get this history of Durham that I don't know from, from a, a peer of mine, as opposed to, cause you know, my grandparents, especially on my mom's side, they'll talk about Durham for hours. They got all kinds of stories and I'm hoping right. one day. But I'm sure they know a much different Durham than you do. Like you exactly. probably can't even relate. Or even, yeah. even for you, you know, they'll talk about similar, they'll do the same, this used to be type of thing for places that you grew up on in the same area. So that, you know, for you, yeah. you, you might drive down a street and be like, oh, that used to be a Chick-fil-A. And for them, they'd walk down, you know, drive down the same street and be like, oh, that, that, that didn't used to be a Chick-fil-A. That used to be such and such. And so yeah. it's, it's interesting to have yeah. that generational perspective too. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely right, man. It's it's wild you say that because someone told me the other day the uh the the Whole Foods off of uh you know up right behind Ninth Street. Someone told me they used to be a KFC, and that blew my mind. I don't know why that was so. I was like, what? Like you know that thing's been there as long as I've. I think they it, it's been there since like '86. You know, so it's literally been there since like before we were alive. But like I don't know. You're right, man. Like, I'll tell somebody something like that. And they're like, what? And then, like, you know, it's funny how it can still happen to us, too, despite being born and raised. I'm like, what? That was a KFC? Like, I had no idea, you know? Like, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a cool little generational thing that I don't think we get to experience too often, you know? So how did you, yeah. you talked about um, getting into hip hop music a little later than some folks after transferring over to Hillside? When did hip hop go from being rapping in the ciphers after school to I think this might be interesting to pursue as a career or as a some sort an endeavor you know more serious than just rapping with my friends? Um, I didn't take it seriously until probably like 2009 or so um i was going to central and uh ninth wonder was teaching there at the time and this sounds horrible to say but he was kind of the entire reason i even went to college like i was mm. <laughs> you know what i mean I, I graduated i finished hillside no wait you know uh, shout out to us and um I, I don't know. I just kind of, I had no desire to really go to school after that. I just kind of wanted to, I don't know, man. My pops kept throwing all these options at me. You can go to the military, you can go to college, you can, you know, you can work. And I don't know, the work one just kind of made the most sense to me. I was like, well, I guess I'll make some money. I don't know, going to school was, I, you know, it was kind of the thing you're supposed to do. But I was like, I don't really want to have, like, debt and, like, mm. student loans and all that, you know. But, uh everyone kept trying to talk me into the college thing. And I was like, all right, I guess. And I was looking at schools and, you know, I was still kind of getting into hip hop, but I, you know, I knew Ninth Wonders then. I was a huge little brother fan by then. And uh, I was like, oh man, Ninth Wonders at Central? I was like, shit, I'm gonna go there then, you know? And uh, so I applied, got in by some miracle because I don't recall my uh, GPA being great, but uh, <laughs> yeah, got into, uh, you know, the illustrious NCCU and, and uh, I don't know what it was, man. Just something about being around like Ninth and and some of his artists. He used to have this uh, this crew he was working with called M1 Platoon. They're from DC, man. Great guys, Scoop A, P 
Big Chop, you know, all, all those fellas. And um, I don't know, man, just, just like being around those dudes, I, I just got hippie one day. I was like, I think I want to do this. Like, I think I think I want to rap like, like you know, like, like for real, for real. I don't want to just, you know, yeah, just just kick freestyles with the homies and, and you know, and, and that was an interesting time, too, because I, I feel like that was like the the beginning of the blog era. And, and you know, you could really see uh, how, you know, how you could make music and, and become a nationally known act over the internet you didn't necessarily have to be signed like you did you know the, the prior decade and and uh so yeah like i, I give credit to, to hillside and central for that um yeah just, just i don't know something about the, the the culture and the music man i just i was like wow i i, I want to do this i don't want to i don't want to you know be a lawyer or a doctor or anything like my parents i want to i want to make music you know and 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 uh, I, I found out kind of early on I was I was I was okay at it. I wouldn't say good, but you know I would I would I would kind of get a little like okay, bro. Like you know it was nice. You know I was I was starting to get more and more of those. So I was like, yeah, maybe I can do this thing. And it's funny how I would grow to kind of hate rap <laughs> a decade later, you know. But but like that's kind of what started me off, man. Just just yeah, the 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 music and and just being around like like. Just hearing so much of what what Ninth had done and been around and 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 yeah, man, I was I was just like, wow, like this this is what I want to do. I think like I don't really, I I dropped out shortly after that because I was like, well, why am I here still? Because I um I think I stayed as long as he stayed. I think Ninth then went to either Duke or Harvard, and then after that, I was like, well, why, I don't know why am I still here? Like the the reason I came left, so why am I, why am I still here? And I did I dropped out shortly after that and uh pursue music. I wouldn't say full time. I was still working. You know, I had to fund said music. But uh, yeah, that's pretty much what led to that, man. Just um, being a little brother fan and, and seeing Ike was at Central. And yo, know, it, it's I, I met so many people there, man. It's crazy. I met Meds for the first time at, at uh, in Ike's class. I used to sit beside this dude named Mike. And he kept telling me about his boy from Raleigh named Maz, Maz. And I mean, bro, I heard about him for probably months before he ever came down and then one day he came in and, and I think he rapped for ninth and then they kind of hit it off and you know like like I saw it in my own eyes so many people that that used to come come through I met Rhapsody there I was literally sitting in the studio with Rhapsody like like nights on end like you know this is still like her coolie high days before she was you know a solo act but I, I used to see Rhapsody like three four times a week you know it was it was crazy like like that does seem like a wild era for Central specifically because, well, Central and then I guess NC State as well with the, the twilight of Little Brother's career as a group, you know, up to that point at least, and uh, the legacy that they had in North Carolina specifically. Because I can't really think of, and, and you may be able to correct me here, I don't really think of North Carolina hip-hop outside of them. Like, I don't, I'm wondering what the institutions were for them, for Little Brother, that helped them grow as North Carolina rappers. Because before them, I don't, I don't know of any hip-hop artists, you know, like Petey Pablo being the one exception, but I don't really think of this area having like a culture of hip-hop in, in quite the same way, um, which is interesting because there's like this, this family tree that comes out of, little brother uh, yeah really 
starts to, you know, the, the seeds start to sprout around, you know, for groups like Cooley High and, and people like Mez and, you know, and then even folks in this, in this area, like you, like Cavassier and, and de facto and Tune and Law. And because um, I think, yeah, that, that, that's like where North Carolina or where Durham specifically hip hop starts for me is like 2010 era with, yeah. maybe, with you all and, and Tune and Law and, and de facto. And I don't even know if, I mean, I'm sure G was rapping, but I feel like I didn't know G's name until three or four years after that. Um, yeah, he was on the poetry circuit like before. Right. I before guess that's they, true that he was doing poetry more full-time than rapping. Uh, yeah, absolutely. He's, he's been huge in the poetry world, but like, yeah, he kind of, he kind of just started like the rap thing. Yeah. A few years back, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's cool that you were able to have that experience with Knight. I actually took his class, his hip hop history class at Central because he ended up coming back, I guess, you know, years later and was teaching at Central again. So I, I had his class in 2016, 2017, 2017, I oh, guess. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting to um, for him to have that, you know, the, the two stints there and, and what that's meant for the hip hop culture in this area. And um, so you ended up dropping out which, you know, I think that a lot of musicians kind of take that route. They get into college, they find their passion for music, and they're just kind of like, yeah, I guess, unless I'm here to, you know, do more um, either like music business or more classical training, then yeah. there's not really a reason to continue being in college. You mentioned the internet kind of giving you the, the map or the blueprint for pursuing music outside of being on a label or needing the institutional backing that was required in the prior decade. How did you see the internet? Cause you, I, mean, I think if I remember you and I, this is like two, 2012, 2013, maybe on Twitter, you were like one of the first people that I started like really talking to on Twitter. And it was probably, six months to a year before we actually ever met yeah we're constantly going back and forth on twitter and i loved always loved telling that story because it it did show the power of the internet and what it was capable of even back then um so yeah so how did how did you see the internet and just yourself in the hip-hop scene growing um sort of growing together and in your pursuits in music yeah um you know and it's it's funny because to this day i still say that was my 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 biggest weakness i wish i had understood the internet a little a little more like i was i was i was aware of its power and like you know social media especially it was a weird dynamic because i i, I was so i was most inspired by the internet but i was also i don't, I don't know it everything changes so quickly on the internet too. So I found it hard to kind of keep up and, and, and it's funny how a lot of things even come back or they come full circle. I remember we were putting our music on Bandcamp at first. And I was, uh, I was told by, by Mbala, who was my manager at the time, shout out Mbala. She was like, yo, you gotta get SoundCloud. SoundCloud's a thing now. And I was kind of reluctant. I was like, well, you know, it was a SoundCloud thing. I was just told it, you know, to get Bandcamp. And 
you know, I'm, I just started putting stuff on there. So now I got to, you know, I got to move everything to the SoundCloud thing. And, you know, I was, I was hesitant to do so, but I did. And then, you know, I finally got kind of decent on SoundCloud. I had a pretty decent following. And then, uh, you know, the, the streaming era came in, you know? And so it, it, I, d- despite being so, uh, inspired by it. And, and and yeah I'll, I'll go back to say yeah the internet age the blog era kind of inspired me to take music seriously too because yo you were seeing guys like Wiz and 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 mac miller at the time and um even kendrick lamar it's funny the first kendrick lamar song i ever heard was on a blog like you know it was it was uh she hate me i think with dom kennedy and murders you know and i had never even heard of this guy but I, I heard of them and so you know i clicked on it and you know there were just so many artists from from that era that that were coming becoming huge on the internet, and I was like, well, shoot, why you know why can't I do this too? You know, we'll just keep making music. We'll put it on on you know on on these these services. You know, Bandcamp, SoundCloud at the time. You know, we'll try to get on some of these blogs like these guys are, and and hopefully it'll blow up. You know, but um, I, I will I, I will also say I. I I quickly grew frustrated with the internet too, because like I said, man, it, it's like everything changed so fast. I was never really one step ahead of the curve. Like a lot of guys were like, you know, there's, I was telling somebody this the other day too, man, it's wild. Uh, there was a time when live mixtapes was like the thing to be on, you know, and that's like obsolete now, you know, I, I still have it on my phone just cause there are a lot of those really great mixtapes that you can't hear on, uh, you know, your DSPs, your, your streaming services. But like, you know, it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was the best and probably most frustrating thing about making music, you know, like, like it really had me jazzed up about, about, you know, making music. Cause I was like, yo, it's, you don't even need to get signed anymore. You just, it's the easiest time to make music. You just put it out yourself and, and spread it on your social media and, and you know, and, and then get on the blogs. Like, yeah, the blogs were a big thing when, when we were coming up, you know, like early 2010s and, you know, getting on the blogs was it's like the biggest thing you could do, and and it's yeah, it's wild. When I finally started getting on them, they were kind of phasing out, you know. Yeah, were there any that stood out to you that you felt like really sort of represented the culture or had a big impact? Yeah, up up until recently, like I, I was a huge follower of like all of them, man. Complex, Fader, NotRight.com, you know, like like all the big hip hop blogs, uh, Hip Hop DX. I, I I literally had like a rotation. I would wake up every morning just go on all these sites and, and you know see what they were posting and what artists they were talking about and and i mean that's yeah, the, that's a bygone era right there just the idea of waking up because i just used to do the same thing with uh with sports blogs where every morning yeah. it was like i gotta go to espn front page and yep. like check the box scores check see you know see what uh what blog posts are up there from from my guys you know like zach Lowe. i used to read zach Lowe religiously on oh uh, yeah and bill simmons before he left and and yeah and just like that idea of spending that much time on one website just doesn't really exist anymore because everyone just gets their stuff through their feeds and so you kind of are just scrolling through you see a headline you like you might click on it you might not and uh and then you're kind of just skimming through and then you move on to the next thing but that idea yeah. of going to you know, uh, pigeons and planes and just clicking through six or seven pages of a blog post doesn't really happen as much. And I wonder, you know, it's interesting because there, there are always these institutions that find their way to become like vacuums for the democratization of something that came before it. So 
before the internet was big, you still had magazines that put on a lot of artists. You still had radio shows that were putting on people. And then the internet allowed for, to your point, anybody to upload their music, to share their music. You had all these blogs that popped up because of it that were trying to become, you know, marketing engines for this type of music and culture. And then they all start to consolidate or get wrapped up into the streaming services. And now you, we're, you know, we're right back where we started with, you know, Apple Music and Beats One and Spotify yeah. being the main, and then, you know, then the social media platforms being the main marketing platforms for artists and they're forced to go through them. And so it's, it's unfortunate. I wonder what will be the next thing that reopens the floodgates for independent music because it does seem like it's harder and harder again to break through as a as an independent musician yeah yeah you know it's i feel like all these things that you can do yourself helped and hurt the game you know like like it's great that artists don't have to be affiliated with a label or some big machine to put their music out now but like in the same breath it's it's now now everyone can do it and i feel like it makes it harder to stand out or, or harder to be heard which is why i salute the guys who are still somehow racking up plays and you know getting getting views with 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 all the competition around because yeah it's it's you're you're fighting for you're fighting for everyone's attention now like like, like you know it, it, i feel like it was a little different 10 15 years ago too because you you had to have some kind of special connector you know you had to be plugged in by certain people to, to do certain things and now when everyone can do it it's like well how am i going to stand out now or how do i you know so yeah it, yeah. it, it helped hurt a lot of things and you end up and, having um, to do so much of it too we were i don't know if you saw this thing that tree city tweeted not too long ago but we talked about it on a phone call earlier this week about how you're not only if you if you do try to go the independent route you're not only the creator of the art, but you have to be your social media manager. You have to be your bookkeeper. Yeah. You have to be, uh, you know, your, you know, your agent, your, your booking agent, you're, you're playing all these different roles and it takes away from you actually being able to spend time to create the art. And then yeah. you got, when you're on social, it's not just tweeting things you or posting things on Instagram or TikTok or whatever, but you've got to be, the, the content has to be strong enough to get people's attention, to just get them to focus on the thing that you actually want them to focus on. So you're spending all this energy yeah. making Instagram videos when you really should be making music or making films or whatever it is that you do. And yeah. yeah, so you end up having to wear all these hats that end up taking away from the thing that you should be doing or want to be doing. And yeah, it's a real, Man, it's a, yeah, it's a shame because I do feel like it chews up and spits out so many talented people. And, and if only there were a way to, again, re-democratize the platform so that people whose work is noteworthy could just focus on their art and not have to be, you know, all these other people on top of it. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right, man. I like I've said several times on Twitter, like that's what led to me quitting rap, man. Like, like I, I kind of fell out of love with it, not because of the music, but because of everything else. 
you know, everything else I had to, I had to do. And, and you're right. It was taken away from the music, you know, like I was, I was, I was finding myself in a place where everything else was more important, more important than the music itself. Like, like that, that content word kept coming up. You need to create content, content. You know, you need these videos, you need photo shoots and all this stuff for Instagram. I'm like, yo, like, like I thought I was supposed to be, you know, making the music, but you're right. You end up having to do all this stuff on top of it. And, and yeah, it, it, it can be frustrating. You know, tree is right. Shout out to Pat, by the way, you're not just the artist in this, in this age. Like, I feel like, like, the guys before they they could somehow just be the artist, you know. Whereas in this this age, you you literally have to do everything. He's right. You gotta you gotta manage your social media. You have to you have to book your own shows unless you're fortunate enough to have a manager, which which you know some of us do. But I, I feel like that's that's not the case ninety nine percent of the time. Most of us are you're you're the artist and your manager, and it's a lot, man. And not to mention it's expensive. I think that's one thing a lot of artists don't talk about, man. Like like. I feel like we're, we're, we're in the do-it-yourself era, so I, I know this isn't the case for everyone. A lot of these guys do have their own studio set up. You know, uh, they do know how to mix and master their own records, and then you're putting them out yourself. So, you know, like, some of these guys have, have kind of cut out the middleman on a lot of that stuff, but when you look at how much you have to do to create music, you got to spend money on studio time. You have to pay to get the beats that you're rapping on 90% of the time. Some of us got dudes that'll, you know, just throw you beats. Hey, you nice. I want to hear you on my shit. They'll just give it to you. But you know, even even if you you even if you do have talented peers and homeboys that are that are making these beats, you you still want to feed their pockets too. So you're still gonna you know. I well, I can't speak for everyone, but I did. I wanted to still pay people for their work. You know, so you're paying for beats. You're paying for studio time, or even if you're you're not paying for studio time, you you had to pay for your your equipment, and that stuff can rack up in the thousands. And then once you got the music, you gotta you gotta make a video for it. You gotta pay somebody to shoot the joint. You gotta you know you if if you uh you know if you want to put on a show, you gotta pay to rent the space sometimes. Like music, music and creating music can be an extremely expensive experience. You know, uh, an expensive process. And that was kind of taking it, taking out the love for it too. And I'm like, yo, why why am I spending? thousands of dollars to create someone you know when i kind of started doing this just for the love of it you know but you find yourself having to do that so you can keep up and and so you can create a product that's professional professional enough for people to want to listen to as well because you know you can't show up with this with this thing you made in in your closet with, with a walmart mic and the guy next to you you know he went to burn unit studios down to shout out to them that that's a wow random random but slightly related do you remember that studio like there was a time when there was a studio downtown durham burn unit records no oh i'm talking like 2007 2008 that's unheard of now like like you know i hate to bring it back to the to the durham changing convo but there used to be a studio downtown durham like you know uh i think it was over on foster street if i'm not mistaken i don't know what that is now but uh, it's, it was like right across from where um, uh, uns- unscripted is now. Oh, okay. not quite where Bulldega is, but like maybe a few doors down. But there was a studio down there, you know, and and that was one of the first places I recorded. And dude was charging like fifty an hour, which doesn't sound like that much, but you know, you you go down there and you you're trying to knock out three four songs or an EP, 
you're spending a few hundred dollars off the right. rip, you know. And so yeah, yeah I don't know. We're man, not all out here doing this in one take. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, you better do it in one take because <laughs> he's running up that clock, man. You know, so yeah, it's I don't know. That that's that's the the tough part about about being an independent artist too, man. You gotta you gotta fund yourself, bro. And none of this stuff is cheap. Well, I I, I don't know. I've noticed lately too. Like I I, I think guys the guys and girls have kind of taken the expenses out of it. Like it like I don't know. Music now has a very do it yourself feel. Even though it's it's always been DIY, I feel like now is I don't know, maybe something about the pandemic too is is helped kind of push this along. But I'm I'm seeing people shoot album covers just on their phones now instead of getting the professional, you know. Um, I'm seeing people just you know, Wells is a great example, man. Like like Wells will put out he put out an album that was he said himself wasn't even mixed or mastered, you know, and and. Like cats are doing that now. Where I don't know. It's like the professional that need to be so professional and have that top grade. Everything is kind of gone, and I like it. I fuck with it. I, I wish I had kind of taken that approach instead of trying to make everything just oh, it's got to be this and it's got to be that and it's got to be so perfect and you know because that that I don't know. That kind of burned me out pretty quick. And I and I like how um now it's kind of yeah. Everyone has more of a minimalist approach to it. Yo, even um Kelly Kale, shout out to her. Her her last album, yo, that cover was one of her Instagram pictures before, you know, she she took it and somebody slapped the, you know, the, the title on it and everything. And, you know, I, I don't know. So I, I, I kind of, I think it's finally back to what it was supposed to be as, as the indie stuff, you know, as, as, as opposed to us being independent and trying to keep up with the guys who, who do have a machine behind them. I'm kind of rambling. I apologize for that. But no, you, you, you're dropping gems, man. Yeah, it's it's oh, it's just so much that goes into it, man. And it was, it was tough to keep up. And I, I'm I'm glad everyone's kind of taking the the you know the lo-fi route, for lack of a better word. Like yo, just snap the snap the cover on my phone, and and I, you know they might even make the 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 art on on a, on an app they have. And yeah. you know what I mean? Like yeah, everything doesn't have to be this hype Williams production that we tried to make it when I was coming up in, in the you know in the late 2000s and early 2010s you know well and that's what that's what people were seeing too so art is constantly imitating other art and so if people if you were seeing the crazy music videos on mtv and stuff you know that was a huge part of what music access growing up for us was watching stuff you know the music videos on tv so if you're seeing people spending yeah crazy amounts with the outfits and all the different things that come with making these hip hop videos, you're like, Oh, well, if if I want to get on MTV or VH1 or BT, I got to have this same approach. And so, yeah, you start shelling out money. And now that, yeah, you're right. People are willing to do the lo-fi version and, and the audience is willing to accept it too. I think that's the big thing is that we are a little bit more willing to give people the benefit of the doubt or, in some cases, you know, watch people progress or grow over time and as opposed to constantly comparing indie artists to big name artists and what they're capable of just saying, oh, that's, I like the way that you approach that. I could see how that might grow over time or how that might evolve. Um, I mean, the other thing too about the investment that people put into creative projects is specifically with music, on the streaming sites is you're not seeing a lot of it come back. So, you know, it's one thing to, you know, put 
two grand into a album to get your money's worth and then some on the other end, those streaming sites aren't shelling out, you know, really anything. And so you're, yeah. you know, and even if you're lucky enough to get, you know, band camp sales or whatever, you're still just not, if, if you're putting in the amount that you're talking about that was required in terms of equipment, you know, professional videos, photo shoots, all that kind of stuff, there's no way you're getting that back. And so yeah, it's just, it's, yeah. a, it's a tough game to play because you're really gambling in a lot of ways on the idea that at some point you're going to hit it big, get signed, get that first check uh, that'll make it all worthwhile. And for a lot of people, unfortunately, it, it doesn't happen. And it's not for a lack of trying. It's not for a lack of talent. It's just like, you know, it's, it's like a, a random number generator. It's just like, maybe your number will get called. Maybe it won't, but yep. there's, there's yeah. only so many things that you can do before it's just chance. where you decided to hang it up but before that I'm curious what you know if there are any particular moments in your career uh, as a hip-hop artist that stood out to you uh, as things that you were really proud of or just moments where you're like man yeah you know this is actually this is worth it uh, because of this opportunity that I have in front of me yeah I, I had um I, I'd be lying if I said I, I had a ton of those moments because I feel like a lot of being an artist is mostly, you know, the 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 climb and the and the and the grind and the constant, you know, trying. I, I, I do feel like ninety percent of being an artist is just trying and trying, but every so often you do have those moments like, damn, this shit is this shit is pretty cool and it's worth it. Um one of which for me was was my first uh headlining show. I had I had done over sixty shows um, in about five, no, less than that, about three years. Um, and more than that, uh, with, with, with my, my partner, De Niro P when we were the coolest, um, but just me being Danny Blaze between like 2015 and 2018, I had done over 60 shows and, uh, I had yet to do my own headlining, headlining show until 2018. And, um, yeah, we damn near sold out Pinhook on a Thursday night, you know, and uh I mean, wow, that was that was such a great moment, man. Like like uh, a lot of my peers were were there and you know, everyone everyone came out and showed support me. I crowd surfed for the first time, you know. Um Yeah, and that was that was a really special moment, man, to you know, have done so many opening gigs and I finally got one of my own and and everyone kind of came out and, you know, and yeah, yeah, it was it was amazing, man. It was amazing. That was that was that was one of the few things I like. Wow, this this was this was incredible. I went home with a little money that night. I made sure everybody else got paid. You know, that was that was pretty cool too. Not even just you know supporting myself financially through music, but I got to you know I got to break off all the homies something too. You know, and um, yeah, that was I, I want to say that was one of the first like wow, like this this is this is going to work kind of feelings, you know? And, um, just shortly before that, actually, I had made complex, which was like unheard of for, 
a Durham artist, you know? It was like, whoa, like this was, this was like toward the end of the vlog era still, but it was still a pretty big deal, you know? Like, 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 yo, someone from Durham's on Complex, like, like I, I, I've had very few, like, oh, I set the internet on fire moments, but that was one of them, you know? And it was, it was just like, wow, I mean, it was, it was incredible to see uh, so many people supporting me in, in that song and, and that moment, you know, and uh, yeah, was yeah, it? like that was, um, it was the, uh, how's that rap thing going with, with King Mez, King Mez and Janeiro P, rest, rest in peace. But uh, yeah, that was a huge moment, man. Like, like, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I had a song with King Mez, you know, a lot of people can't even say that, you know, I was like, whoa. And, and, you know, it made it on one of the bigger publications at the time. And so that, that was pretty cool too. And um, I don't know, man, I think the one that did it the most for me was uh, when I opened up for Cousin Stiz at uh, Cat's Cradle. I was a big fan of dude. And uh, I don't even know, you know, if it was his team or if it was Cat's Cradle, but some somehow my name floated around enough to get someone's attention up there. And, and they hit me up like, yo, you Stiz in town, you want to open? And I was like, yo, I fucking love this dude. Of course I do. And, um, yeah, I, mean, I had, like, a 20-minute set, and I got paid, like, 500 bucks. You know, like, that was that was a big, like, oh, like, maybe I, you know, maybe this can work kind of thing, you know? Like, that was definitely the most amount I've, I've – the biggest amount I had ever made, in, like, especially such a such a small time, you know? And, um, yeah, like, I don't know. I was, it was just like, you know, if I can get, like, at least a couple of these a month, you know, and, and – maybe even take it across the country, you know, you know, if I can open up for this person here, here and, you know, and, uh, didn't work out that way, unfortunately, <laughs> but yeah, that was, that was a big moment for me, man. That was like a, that was like huge, like, wow. Like, you know, I, I got to open up for and meet one of my favorite artists and got paid pretty decent amount to do it, you know? So, and, and I mean, any artist will tell you, well, that's not true. A lot of, a lot of us like to act like we get paid from everything we do and, you know, all, you know, it's, I can't stand those guys, but I'm one of the cats that's going to keep it real, man. Nine nine times out of ten, you're doing a show and you're walking away with little to nothing. You know what I mean? They're the guys that, that you know, will, will act like every time they hit the stage, they're, they're walking away with, with, with a check. Bro, no, you're not. I don't, I don't know how hip-hop became that genre where we're expected to perform for free, but it is. You know, I don't know. the, the I know guys in rock bands, and I, I know a couple chicks that make, like, the pop music, and it, it – I don't know. They don't have that same experience, but for some reason, hip hop has always been like, I don't know that you're getting paid an exposure kind of, you know, I don't know how that happened, but yeah, I say all that to say like, yeah, getting that hit, getting, getting to perform, doing something I love with someone I, I, I really looked up to and admired and getting paid for it. That was, yeah, that was, that was, that was a hell of a moment, man. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I, not to say, you know, the good times were few and far between, but, you know, yeah, you, you have a lot more downs than ups as an artist. But those those were those were a few moments where I was really like, wow, this, this is all worth it. Like the, the money and the constant worrying and, and oh, is this going to do numbers? Are people going to like this? You know, those those moments made all of it worth it. But. Yeah, I think um, especially a runaway – you know, there were the nights, especially like the day before a drop, we would be in the store or be in Gabe's house or wherever the, wherever we had stashed the clothing, we were 
folding things, unpacking things, getting stuff ready till the break of dawn to have the, you know, full day the next day, having to, um, you know, be in the shop, making sure everything goes according to plan. And so there, yeah, there were a lot of days where we're just banging our heads against the wall in the office, trying to get the marketing right or whatever. But then you do have those moments where, especially for me, to your point about making sure that, uh, you know, that everybody else gets paid. That's part of the process. For me, that was always something that I really loved was when we would do some sort of collaborative, whether it was like, a, you know, being part of a party or helping out with, um, I don't know, music video, or just like doing something else with other artists in the scene and seeing them come up and, and the, to have their, you know, 15 seconds of fame or whatever it was, like it would mean something to them. And so it mean, it would mean the world to me and, right. uh, and, and it would make some of those tough, tough days, long days worth it. And, you know, it's unfortunate because I think, and this is another thing that Patrick and I talked about is that it feels a lot like in the creative community in the arts community, we're basically all just passing around the same $20. It's like <laughs> the artists are the ones supporting the other artists. And so that's like yeah. part of the problem and, and why there, you know, seems to be just not enough money in, in art altogether is because that your, your biggest supporters end up being your peers, which on the one hand is awesome to have, you know, I love having the respect of my peers and the people I look up to in, in the industry, whatever it might be, but that can only take you so far. And so, yeah, I think that's partly what makes it tough when you're, trying to be an, an upcoming local act of any kind in, in art is that you, we're all basically just exchanging hands with the same dollar bills. And so it makes it difficult for the scene to grow as a whole. But, but I'm glad to hear that there were some things that stood out to you. And, and I know you mentioned De Niro and, and um, you know, it was obviously really sad to hear about his passing, given that he, you know, was an important part of the, the scene for a while and um you know was part of that first interview that i did with with y'all for clarion content so um, i definitely don't want to gloss over that and just you know make sure to give him his his due and his respect as being a a member of the hip-hop community and i just you know an overall great dude so yeah thank you man he was he really was yo. i'm glad you got to experience him while he was here too you know you were uh yeah, you, you were definitely a big part of our success early on. And, you know, you were a big supporter. And I I, I still appreciate that to this day, you know? So. Yeah. Us 08 Durham grads got to stick together, man. Oh, <laughs> yeah, bro. Oh, yeah, man. What have you been thinking about? So you, you, you know, decided to hang up the, the hip-hop cape, at least for the time being. I, you know, I won't, won't say never, but at least for the time being. Um, <laughs> You've, you've decided to retire from the rap game. What, what other pursuits have you been, been thinking about? I know you said that you can, you know, you could talk forever. And I mentioned on our phone call before about you getting into the radio podcast game, but what else, uh, what else has been sort of stirring around for you creatively, if not hip hop music? Um, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's funny. We were talking about podcasts and I had, I had that idea pop up a time or two and, and um, Caterpillar Jones, shout out to him, Eflin's, Eflin's finest. He put that idea in my head one time too. So I'm like, bro, you would have 
you would be a great podcaster. And like, and I, I don't know, I, I thought about it, but like, my, I don't know, my problem, I, I like to listen to podcasts too much <laughs> to make one, I think. You know, I, I, I literally spend most of my time listening to podcasts. Like, I, I've, I don't know, I've gotten this weird age where I enjoy hearing people talk more than I enjoy hearing music. You know, um, I don't know. I think it's just part of being 30 now. Maybe maybe that's just what happens. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of NPR and a lot of their programming. And, and just, you know, I, I found myself getting into a lot of the podcasts. And, and I don't know. Like, so I, I would I would enjoy making one. Because as I, as I told you, I love to talk. And I love talking to people about their lives and, you know, what they've got going on, too. But I just, I don't know, like, how it went. Me making a podcast—that's that's less time to listen to podcasts, yeah. you know. <laughs> so, I don't know, I do. but I, I, I trust me, I get it. <laughs> I'm yeah, the same you know, way. I'm, Every day I get up, I'm like, I got six in the queue, and they're all an hour long. I'm just like, man, I, I really should be writing something today or editing the show I got, but you know, and and I'm sure it's a very time-consuming thing to do. So, um, yeah, I don't know. That might happen. That might not, this this is a great start if if you know if I do eventually, you know, get into that. Thanks for for having me. You know, I would be but, more than happy to be your uh, the, the tryout for your podcasting career. <laughs> Hell yeah! Even when I do that, I might might have to return the favor and make you my first guest. You know, but um, yeah, I thought about that. I thought about I actually thought about DJing at one point before this pandemic. I was really into house music all of a sudden. And I don't know, maybe the natural progression from listening to house music is like, hey, now I want to play house music. So I was kind of, I think I even tweeted that once. Like, yo, I'm going to be a house DJ. Like, like I really like this music and I'm, I want to play it and, and I want to dance with people. So, man, I'm going to do that. But, um, yeah, then this pandemic hit and I was like, well, okay, there's no point in doing that now. Like, we can't. Yeah. I might still learn one day. I, I might, you know. I might I might cop the turntables and you know maybe maybe still get into that but uh I told myself the same thing I was like for my 30th birthday I'm gonna get a set of turntables and start DJing hey now we're talking now we're talking <laughs> yeah man so I, I did I thought about that but that kind of I don't know something about this pandemic that idea just kind of died I was like oh shit well maybe I don't know maybe I'll learn to do that when we can actually you know, be around people again. I don't know. But maybe maybe I will start soon because then by the time we can have shows again, maybe I'll be nice enough to actually, you know, do that. So yeah, maybe maybe uh, House DJ Danny coming soon. But um, I I don't know, man. For the most part, it sounds it sounds really whack. But for the most part, I just been kind of yeah doing nothing. Like a lot of people ask me that, like, okay, you quit rap. What's next? I was kind of like, I don't know. Like, I'm just gonna. I'm enjoying not rapping. Like, uh, yeah. you know, it's, I don't know. I feel like we always have to have some kind of what's next after you stop one thing. And I just, I don't know. I just, it's it's weird too. Cause I, I haven't told a lot of people this, but rap was one of the few things I was good at. Mm. I don't know. It's weird. I, I I didn't, I was always an average athlete. You know, I still want to hoop with you and uh, you and vacate soon. You know what I mean? We're supposed to get up a couple of times. Still got to do that. But I'm, I'm, I'm no Michael Jordan. I'm not trash. But I'm, you know, I'm no LeBron James. You know, I was always an average athlete. I was always kind of an average student. I worked in a lot of restaurants over over my life. You know, I'm, I'm a pretty decent cook, but like, you know, I couldn't go on like chopped or anything. You know, I'm a, I'm an I'm an average cook. I'm, I've always been kind of average at everything. To be quite honest, like like I'm I'm, I'm not. 
I'm not like exceptional at a lot of things. Like, so I don't know when I hung up music, I was kind of like, well, what now? Like, Cause I'm not really that great at anything else. Yeah. To be quite honest. Do that. I, you know, I, I think that there is some merit though to, uh, cause I, I've, I, you know, I've had maybe certain spikes in my, throughout my life of potential, uh, you know, I think with violin, I got to a point where I was like, oh, you know, I'm pretty good at this. But then it was like, okay, to get to this next level, you're going to have to do X, Y, Z. And I was just kind of like, oh, I don't love it that much. And then <laughs> same thing with soccer. Like I was a pretty decent soccer player and it got to be ninth grade. And, and I was like, mm, I don't love it that much. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, so it, I understand the the like being pretty good at a lot of things, but I also think that there's like, you know, there's uh, a gift in that as well. Just having knowledge of and being well-rounded in a lot of different things where, cause I'm the same way. And maybe it's just like a growing up in Durham thing, but I worked my first job. I worked construction when I was 16 for my neighbor across the street. Cause my, I had to help pay for this basketball camp I wanted to go to over the summer. And so my dad was uh-huh. like, you want to do it. You got to get a job. And so I ended up working this job. We were, um, it was um, like fireproofing this building they were, they put up over near Duke hospital. And so mm. we'd go, I'd have to get up at like six o'clock in the morning, work 10 hour days, Monday through Thursday. We oh. were up in the ceilings, like sealing off the, the seams and the walls basically to stop, you know, if a fire broke out, it would prevent it from going basically past that, um, that room or, or help oh. some resistance into the room. So I did that and, it, and I never thought that it was going to be a career, but I was just like, okay, cool. Like I checked that box. I did a little, did a little construction work. I woke up early. That's something I can say I did. And then. Right. And at after, 16, that's pretty yeah, impressive. I wish I had felt more proud of it back then. Because <laughs> <I was, laughs> this, this shit sucks. Like I'm miserable right now, but, but the camp was worth it. And so it, right. it paid off, but yeah. And then I ended up working at a, um, I had a video game arcade up on Ninth Street for a little while called Snarks. Oh, oh, yo, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. So oh, I worked there for a couple years. Shit. I know. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot all about that. Was a that was a really nostalgic moment just now. I forgot all about that place, yo. Yeah, that was where I, I became like that was like my first real job. Doug, what, what Doug and Vicky Coleman. Who's say that again? Do Do you remember the name of that place? Yeah, Snarks. It's, it's Snarks. like sharks with an N. Snarks, yeah. Bro, oh my God. Thank you for bringing that up. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Did no, you're good. It? You're good. I'm having that same. Every time I bring it up, I have that same nostalgic feeling. And yeah, Doug Doug and Vicky Coleman were the one, the couple that owned it. And uh, and I, I'm always grateful for them for giving me an opportunity because, you know, I, I had very little work experience, but uh, Doug ended up being a huge role model for me and he, he was a teacher at ek poe for a, a while and you know started this business among other things that he did and um and really yeah taught me a lot about business about teaching just like about life in general because um he had he had biracial parents and i think they had uh split up as well and that was like for me uh you know my parents got divorced in 2008 Rise, I was graduating high school. So, and I started working at Snarks in like 2010. Yeah, 2010, 2011. So, 
so it was great to have a, a mentor like that at, at this job where I wasn't just learning stuff about the job, but I felt like he was dropping wisdom on me every day just as a, as a Learn person. about life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I did that and then I ended up working at Blue Corn Cafe for a little bit right across the street there on 9th Street. Um, I did basketball coaching at actually at the same camp that I went to as a kid. I coached there for a couple of years. Oh, that's pretty uh, cool. Yeah, so I just, I don't know, like I've had all kinds of crazy jobs over the years. And, and I feel like it is not because I was exceptionally good at any one thing, but I had a few things that I could offer where they were like, okay, we can kind of put Justin in a couple different situations. So like, you know, at the, at the restaurant, I was a host, I was a bartender, I was a server, you know, with the basketball camp I taught high school kids the first year and then I taught the elementary school kids the next year so I had a kind of range in terms of age groups I could teach and um, you know even at run especially at runaway like you know between Gabe and I being a two-man team for a while I was learning how to code websites I was learning how to run uh, you know, the shipping software to send the packages out. I was learning how to do social media marketing. Um, yeah. You know, we had to learn all these different business things through programs we were doing at American Underground. So it was like this whole time, I, I've just been picking up skills here and there. And even, yeah, when, uh, when people ask me now, you know, what is it that I want to do or what is it that I'm good at or what's my profession? It's like kind of hard to nail down because I'm just like, I don't like, I feel like it's better for me to just say, you know, I enjoy being a storyteller than for me to say, oh, I, you know, I'm, I work in marketing or I'm a marketer. Right. I'm saying all this to say that like, one, I think it's totally fair for you to feel that need to just rest and not have a next thing yet. Cause I know yeah. I felt that way coming out of doing runaway for so long where I was just burnt out. It's like, I don't, yeah. I don't really want to do anything. A lot of guys were, yeah. A lot of people were asking you guys that like, well, what's yeah. next after, wait, what's next? What's next? Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to chill. And, um, and so I totally think that that's a fair uh, thing to offer yourself that bit of grace to just say, yeah, I kind of want to just recoup and recover for a second. Um, And then also, I think having a balance of a lot of different things, even if you do feel like, um, you know, maybe I'm just average at these. I think that there's strength in that. And it just means that you have a lot of doors that you could walk through. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that that's cool that you're just in this hibernation mode. Cause I think it will mean whatever you do next, you'll be, you'll feel invigorated by it and fully rested from the thing that you just did. So um, whether yeah. it's whatever it is, I, I think I can speak for a lot of people that we would be excited to, um, to see you hit the scene again and, and whatever project uh take shape hey well thank you man i appreciate that yo i gotta make sure before i didn't mean to cut you off but i gotta make sure because ryan will kill me if i don't ask about it <laughs> uh, you, you may you may even know yeah definitely shout out to, to ryan coca um <laughs> the, the the what it is y'all on twitter it was, oh it was man. like a uh uh you know it was like a news alert we'd get every morning it's like for sure if we get on twitter there's Danny. Yeah, but it is y'all, and and we, we got to know what what's the 
where did that come from? What, what did you hope to get out of that? Just like, are you just trying to put more positivity into the world? What, what is the story behind? Cause you, I think if, even if people don't know you as a musician, you on Twitter is like, I, I've said for years, I feel like your Twitter presence is like top five all time for people that I follow. Oh, appreciate that, man. For real. That's because there are what millions of Twitter users and, and, Consider me top five on it, man. I, that that means a lot, yo, for real. That means a lot, <laughs> and it's it's hilarious to think about because I'm really just, bro. I just get on Twitter and I don't know, man. That place is just a world of its own, and it it's it's great. It's I, just thinking about. I, I I I spend half of my day just thinking about something I saw on Twitter. It's it's you it, you'll you'll laugh out of nowhere, and people are like, "What's this guy laughing at?" And I'm thinking about some tweet from two days ago. You know, like. I still think it's the best. It's it's probably the craziest platform, but I still think it's the best. I think it has the oh, yeah. most variety for what you're going to get. And it's a lot less polished than your Instagrams and your TikToks. Uh, people are just flying off the handle on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is, which is a good and a bad thing. But, like, the thing I love about Twitter, man, is everyone's real. Like, I... I don't know. Everyone on Instagram is just, is is just acting like their life is so perfect. Well, it's through a filter. You know, that's why they have filters. It's all through a filter. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like literal, literal and figurative filters. You know, yeah. and and I don't know. I feel like we come on Twitter and it's it's the place to let loose, man. It's the place to be who you really are. It's the place to be who you want to be. It's it's the place to to you know say what you're really feeling, good and bad. Twitter's gotten a lot of people in trouble. Yeah. You know, saying some less than great things, you know, but yeah, I would have to agree, man. It's definitely the best platform by far. And um, yeah, to answer your question about the what it is, y'all thing, it's 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 funny. It started really okay. There was there was that song from a uh, Ti's album, Paper Trail. Uh, what up? What's happening? Yeah, and he starts the, the verse by saying, "What it is, bruh? What it do, man?" And like, I don't know. It's like I just tweeted like. What it is, y'all, one day because I, I that song was hot at the time. I I didn't I wanted to be more inclusive. I didn't want to say what it is, bro, because you know clearly yeah. there are a lot, you know, women and and otherwise on Twitter. So I didn't want to say what it is, bro, but yeah, so I, I don't know. I just got on there one day. And I was like, what it is, y'all, and like people just kind of started. I don't even think I meant to originally like pose it as a question, but it was just me, just literally, just kind of I don't know, like Ti voice, what it is, y'all. And then people would start like answering. They would start kind of telling me what what was going on, you know? Like, um, and then like next thing you know, I just kind of start doing that every day. I don't even know how I started. Like, I, I literally can't do anything on Twitter until I get the what it is y'all off, you know? And and that is a crazy amount of discipline. <laughs> that's like <laughs> Yeah. That's, when seems... did I look? I've tweeted that every day for like since like twenty eleven. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I I really went back one day and looked at, like, all of them. I, I don't know why I was that bored, but I searched my name and what it is, y'all. And, it, yeah, I think I've been saying it since, like, early 2011. So, a good nine years now. but Which is also a wild amount of time to be on Twitter. But Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm afraid to look at my Twitter before, like, honestly, like, two years ago. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> I don't think that I want to know what I was tweeting. Although, you know yeah. what? I could probably tell you because I think Twitter, when I first started, was basically just like song lyrics that I liked. And I mean, it was like everybody else. It was just like the most <laughs> random thoughts yeah. that you had during the day or just, yeah. yeah, it would be like song lyrics that I thought were cool. 
And yeah. it seems so remember? much innocent. Yeah. And there was a point where Twitter was literally just us all saying what we were doing at the moment, like going to the mall, going to eat, watching the game. Like, I don't, I don't know how we evolved, but I'm glad we did because there was a point where that was, that was it. Yeah. We were all just tweeting what the hell we were doing. And like, I don't know, at some point it became this, <laughs> this thing that it is now, which is just insane. But <laughs> You should really look into the Guinness Book World Record for like most this tweeting the same thing the most days in a row. Cause nine years is a long ass. Time. I mean, Twitter's only been around for a few more years than that. So, yeah. you know, I don't know if they're, if they write checks for world records, but, um, but it would be, it would be an interesting thing to, to look into. Yeah, that, that you're right. I didn't think about that. Like, yeah, I wonder if I have broken some kind of record for most consecutive tweet. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I never I never thought to look into that. You're right. That's very possible. We we should just put the uh the internet to task on this. People listening to this show will just be like, <laughs> hey, look, let's hive mind this thing and, and see if we can get Danny his uh world record trophy. Yeah, that'd be a pretty cool thing to have a record for. Most most consecutive tweet. Well, yeah. I, I gotta I don't know. I gotta look into that. We we, we gotta we gotta tweet Guinness and ask, like, yeah. hey, what what and who currently hold the record for most consecutive tweets? And have I broken that? Because you're right, long, nine years is a long time. And I don't think I've missed a day. Not to brag or anything, but I, I, there have been days I literally just tweeted what it is, y'all, and nothing else. Like, even if I didn't say shit else, I think I still did that. Dude, is- I'm saying, like, every year I try to, you know, I have all these resolutions where I'm going to, start a journal. I'm going to read this many books. I'm going to blog this many times, you know, all the things that people come up with every year. And by March, it's somehow fallen off if, if I even get that far. And so to be able to do something for nine years is like, there, there's an incredible amount of discipline to be uh, admired in that. <laughs> well, thank you, man. Well, we've already been running pretty long, uh, but it, this has been an incredibly enjoyable conversation. Um, that it has, that it has. I, I have always enjoyed in the opportunities that we've got to hang in, in person um, you know talking to you on on shows like this on on Twitter you know pretty much anywhere that I can get uh, get some time to to speak with with Danny Blaze has been uh, has been a blessing and a fun experience so thanks thanks again for being on the show and and again you know let me know about that that podcast if you uh if you decide that's a pursuit that you want to take on um i think the world is ready for it so just let me know yeah we'll do bro i i I would definitely look at you uh look to you to show me the ropes if if i decide to do that man for real and and yeah thank you for having me on this bro bro. this this has been a blast i didn't realize it had been that long you're right like this (laughs) This, this this has been uh yeah it's been a long one but it's been a good one it's like been a I great didn't even one. notice you know you don't even notice when the combo's good man so yeah thank you for real and I look forward to seeing you and talking to you again soon man hopefully this COVID thing slows down we gotta go somewhere get a drink or something and, no doubt yeah man well, this has been great man oh we gotta we gotta talk like off mic about sports that's the only thing we didn't get to man we gotta talk <laughs> rockets. We gotta talk about you and this 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 hard. We should we should definitely do that off mic because I think it might get a little (laughs) inflammatory. So, (laughs) with uh, with that, yeah, maybe we'll 
we'll, we'll cut this. Uh, if, if people want to find Danny, he is uh, on, on Twitter and Instagram. Your boy, Danny Blaze. I'll put it in the show notes. And uh, like I said, top five Twitter follows. So if you're not following him on Twitter, at the very least, you got to hit that follow button and uh, and start tuning into this guy because he's, uh, he's he's a true true gem on, on Twitter and just as a human being in general. So, um, yeah, thanks again for being on the show. And, uh, and we'll see y'all next time.